0: Hello, and welcome to the Profiting From Data podcast. This episode features an interview with Sylvain Fort, CEO of Sesam, an innovative fintech company specializing in big data and artificial intelligence for investments. Sylvain discusses his start with alternative data and Sesam's textual data NLP for ESG scoring with its growth and challenges. He also takes a deep dive into the importance of data for risk management, specifically for private equity firms, his thoughts on alpha decay, and much more. Please enjoy this dialogue between Sylvan and your host, Emmett Kilduff.
1: Hi, Sylvain. Welcome to the show. Hi, Emmett. Thank you very, very much for having me. It's great to have you on. Sylvain, when did you start reading papers about alternative data, given you've been in this space for quite a while?
2: I actually started reading papers about this when I was in engineering school in France around uh, 20, 2011, 2012, and especially around uh, Twitter analysis. I think at that time, everyone was reading the Bolin paper that was about leveraging Twitter data in order to forecast S&P 500 movements. At that point, this was, at least in Europe, this was really unknown. There were no companies doing that, no one interested in that topic. And it was really academic research and furthermore, American academic research. So it so was very new to, to us. We started discovering that word and started extract data, build signals, and building that alternative data use case that was truly unique. And what, what's interesting is actually a, a few years later, I discovered that during that time, most alternative data were being created with the same basis that we were actually reading these same papers, starting to extract data. I felt it's really interesting to see that each company, whether it's companies such as Eagle Alpha or data providers like us or data integrators, have chosen a different path to address that same theme of providing alternative data to the world, providing relevant signals and alpha generation tools. All of this started in 2011, 2012 for a lot of people.
1: Did, yeah. I remember I left Morgan Stanley in 2012, started Eagle Alpha, and we, as you rightly point out, started in the Twitter world. That seems like so long ago now. (laughs) Data's come a long way since then, whether one calls it alternative data or external data, big data, little data. Do you think it's having a really big impact now compared to back in 2012?
2: Yeah, I feel it's starting to to truly have a huge impact on investment decisions. And I always feel like investment decisions have a true impact on the world. So I think that data is actually a a way to to move some elements in the world to help make better decision, informed decision. We've been exposed to some events where our data had a massive impact especially where we see that impact live, such as in private equity, when a deal is actually done or discarded due to our data specifically as part of the diligence reports that are created based on textual analysis, web analysis. I feel the same way about ESG data too, as I see that investments are red flagged due to ESG indicators or controversies that are extracted from web data. And this is really humbling actually, because we're all building technology, building tools, building data sets and gathering information but that information has billion of dollars of impact on the real world and on companies and i find this really great but also to be a huge responsibility first time we saw that in a very direct manner in private equity it was like wow this is crazy it's great that we can have that kind of impact but at the same time this is an enormous responsibility for all data providers
1: we'll come back to private equity maybe just a dig further into your ESG comment. CESDAM does a lot of work, obviously, on textual data and uses NLP, natural language programming, for ESG scoring. And that's in a big area that a lot of firms are looking at. What do you think are the challenges and opportunities there in that whole area?
2: Yeah, I think our our team was first very, very impressed with how quickly things move forward in in ESG. We see firsthand the, the impact that regulators can have also on data adoption with European regulators in particular, pushing for ESG to be included everywhere and asset allocators pushing for ESG to be included everywhere. So I'm first very impressed by how trendy this topic is and again, how much impact it has. But the truth is it ESG is really more of a trend than a fact for now. It's very hard to gather relevant data. Data is reported by companies, not all of them. Coverage on mid cap and small caps is terrible. Information on private companies is not even available. So all of that makes make things very complex. And uh, I talk a lot with, uh, I think you do too, Ahmed, but with asset managers and portfolio managers that are being obliged and need to actually integrate ESG scores, but there is no clear methodology. Is that, is that something that you observe too on, on your side?
1: Yes, I think on our side, we're seeing that some of our clients are frustrated that they buy signals from some of the obvious ESG providers and what they really want is underlying data so they can build their own signals or factors.
2: Yeah. Well, we observed that too. And I think in addition to that, one, one key point is everyone wants to have a signal that is very clear and that is considered ground truth, but that is not yet what ESG is. Every signal has a lot of bias in it, whether it's it's even about factual data that is not well processed, such as CCO2 data, where there are a lot of referentials for that and it can change from one day to the other, or whether it's about softer data such as controversies that is actually very hard to factually evaluate. So this is something that we address in the sense that first, web data is kind of always the same. You're based on articles and messages and blogs, and you're tracking controversies. You can assess the authority of a specific source and the quality of a specific article. But the basis of information is the same across all three categories. And that's very, very crucial because okay, environmental you have CO2 emissions, but you don't really have a lot of other things that you can track. Other pollutions are not well-tracked. Environmental and biodiversity impact is very hard to track. With web data, you can track all categories in the same way, environmental, social, governments. And the other thing is the data is not reported by companies. And I feel when there is an actual government's impact and government scandal, this is not something that you can detect from information that is provided by the company. So we feel that notion of whistleblowers is is super important in terms of governments. These are some of the advantages, I feel.
1: And are you seeing corporate clients or private equity clients reach out to you for ESG purposes or is it typically hedge funds and other types of asset managers?
2: It's mostly actually asset managers and private equity. We haven't had any demands from corporates yet. I feel that corporate social responsibility is still handled in a different way that ESG from an investment perspective is, but private equity right now for ESG is a big topic. And especially with data that is alternative where data, where no one in the traditional agency actually has enough information on private companies. You can still track private companies on the web. You can still track private companies in, in other data sources. So we have a lot of demand for that specifically because these private investors and whether it's in equity or debt, They also have the same kind of obligations to track ESG scores. And there is literally no data available on these types of companies.
1: So for those, Sylvain, it's less about due diligence. It's more about monitoring the companies in their portfolio or potentially also for deal origination. Yeah,
2: exactly. And and also, funny enough, it's actually that the main tool right now for risk management in private equity, but across a lot of fundamental firms too, is Google Alerts, meaning that they have their portfolio companies and they are, they are raising alerts that could relate to risk. But Google Alerts is a horrible tool to do risk management with because it doesn't handle multiple publications of article. It doesn't track the themes of article. It doesn't assess whether the news is positive or negative. So all of that makes for a terrible tool. But in private equity, it's kind of the only tool that you can use in the sense that it's the only one that has, in most cases, enough coverage for all of your portfolio companies. We find it really interesting, and, and we find that the, there is really an opportunity for alternative data to be leveraged as an alert system, as a risk management system. And obviously, in other topics in private equity, on, on sourcing, on due diligence, anything that where a lot of manual work is usually needed, a lot of research is needed, at least some of it can be automated with AI processes. That's still part of the discussion, part of the decision can be improved with more data.
1: Yeah, agreed. There was a recently a large acquisition in the ESG space. I'm sure you've seen it, where FactSet acquired a company called True Value Labs. Do you have any thoughts on True Value Labs offering or the acquisition?
2: Yeah, we see seen we've seen this kind of consolidation in the market. Uh, True Value Lab is very recent, but Sustain Analytics by Morningstar was also a huge deal with that progressive acquisition. I feel that right now solutions that are adopted the most are are rather MSCI's indicators or sustained analytics, those that are still based a lot on endless annotating data and creating scores. But rapidly, we see new players coming in the market with an offer that is more digital, that is based more on data automation. I think that's first a a, a very good thing. It's not just a matter of being competitors in this space. It's more a matter of, can we actually improve ESG decision? I think that's really key from from an impact perspective. Yeah. And after that it's it's really a matter of how much coverage we have, how deep can we go in that data, what else can we do? And and our specialty is just to have much more coverage than anyone else we believe in the market due to size of the data lake, a number of companies that we track. So that's really where, where we differentiate on on CISM side.
1: Yeah. So as mentioned, you've been in the old data space or looking at the old data space for eight years, as long as I have I've observed a ridiculously high number of use cases, um, as I'm sure of you. What's, if I was to put you under pressure and ask you for the one single best use case that you've, you're aware of over those eight years, what would it be?
2: I think the obvious most common use case is long-short equity. So that's the one where we see the most clients coming in. Uh, it's the traditional hedge fund use case, also in, in many cases. But I also think this is kind of a crowded use case, use case. One use case that we've seen with more traditional firms, insurance company, and, and asset managers is asset allocation. I think it's an extraordinary use case for asset, for alternative data, because first, in many firms, the process of asset allocation is based on the vote of the board. So there is really the need to create an additional systematic indicator that can still be discretionary, but that can help make an additional decision based on facts, based on quant analysis. So I think there's, there's really a need there. To standardize the process of making that asset allocation decision. And on top of that, asset allocation is it's kind of the hardest task that you can imagine in terms of data. Because to understand a company with alternative data, you can actually have more data about the company than the company itself. Yeah. That's really something that is possible. But asset allocation is about the word. So in order to have a description of the word that is better, it becomes a task where you need yeah, all of the data in the word and more. So it's extraordinary for alternative data. It's very challenging, very, very hard to build models to build signals, but it's of great value because the more data you need to make a decision, the more data you need to represent the system, the harder it is to make it to make it without alternative data and without machine learning.
1: So, sticking with hedge funds, then um, you have a lot of customers in that vertical. What are the typical use cases that they have with your offerings?
2: So, with hedge funds, we see a lot of long short equity trading. CTA strategies, Forex trading is also quite important. We have clients that are building a fixed income portfolio on our data. I think the biggest segment right now is equity and credit uh, based on what we provide. So tracking companies is really still, I think in alternative data, the, the main topic. But we see more and more government bonds and Forex use cases that emerge. I think in the future, this will likely be the trend. I think alternative data adoption an in, in the equity and to some extent credit space is really maturing, but I think there is still a lot to do in the fixed income and forex space, and maybe even more, actually.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that over time, but they're typically slower to move and innovate.
2: Another space that is actually very fun and, and very interesting to experiment is, is actually a crypto trading. It varies kind of too much from a geography to another, but in Europe we have a quite progressive regulation, especially in France with regards to crypto assets. So there are actually some crypto hedge funds, et cetera, that are regulated. And it's a very fun space to experience it with uh, alternative data because it's a uh, it's kind of a, a white space. It's uh, you, There are a lot of opportunities to, to find inefficiencies and to create new data sets on demand also.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sylvain, I want to get your thoughts on Alpha Decay. Um, it's been a topic that... We've had mentioned at our conferences over the, over the years. Um, and in my own personal view, I, I actually like getting asked the question, is there any alpha left in alternative data? Mm-hmm. Because I sort of respond with a cheeky answer saying, is there any alpha left in traditional data? <laughs> and of course, there has to be otherwise. What's everyone on Wall Street doing? <laughs> and there's just so much new non-traditional alternative data coming on stream that, you know, frankly, most firms can only trial 20, 30 data sets per, per year that there's, there's a lot to go around. But I'd love to get your thoughts, please.
2: Yeah, I think you're very right. And the question that your answer to that question is, is there any alpha left in, in traditional market data is, is actually very relevant because I'm not necessarily fully convinced that the answer is yes. I, I think that alpha still exists in market data, but it's no not a low-hanging fruit anymore. I think people have to fight very, very hard from a modeling perspective to actually get access to that alpha. I think we see the same thing with alternative data is, as as data sets become leveraged by more and more firms, progressively that alpha is not a low-hanging fruit anymore. And you need to have the new data set in order to actually find alpha that is very easy to get access to. There are good and bad things. The good thing is that new data sets come to the market every day. So there is much more data that is generated than the ability for fonts to to crunch that data. We know that the market is a, a signal-crunching machine, so it's, it's meant to actually destroy alpha. I think that the way and the number of data sets that are created is just too high. But on, on our side, it's also a matter of, can we find ways to build data sets where we don't do the same for everyone? And that's a key part of our vision of providing platforms rather than just data sets, is saying, if you have access to the technology to build data sets on demand with natural language processing on a data lake that is almost unlimited, and that is kind of everything that the world has to offer in terms of web data. In that case, you can really create any kind of signal, any kind of data set, and no one else will have the same data as you. And we think frameworks, platforms are a real solution to that issue of alpha decay.
1: And so moving verticals then, if we move from the buy side or hedge fund vertical to the private equity vertical, um, you know, we know that you've been doing a lot of work here. I think we've successfully introduced you to some interesting PE firms. A exactly. clients. Um, from a high level, Sylvan, what are your private equity customers using your solutions for?
2: There are three main use cases in private equity that, that we tackle using web data. So the first one is uh, sourcing uh, ID generation so as to help funds build lists of targets that are relevant to them and so as to limit the amount of work that they have to do in order to find companies. So this is mostly VC and growth stage where the fight for new companies and the information advantages in finding the company first and contacting it before anyone else and making sure that you know as much as possible about the company. So that's most, mostly for early stage, but it's very important because nowadays VCs and growth stage funds—they work like SaaS businesses. They actually have dedicated sales team. They are actually doing lead generation, and so we see sourcing as a lead generation tool as finding the right qualified prospects that are actually companies that you need to invest in as quickly as possible and with as little work as possible. Yeah, it's something that we see less in very large private equity firms when you are buying firms that have fifty million in EBITDA. Yeah, there are there are a few of them, so you don't need to search that much. In your geography, it's very likely that you know most of them already. Yeah. So for these firms, I think that the two-second use case, which are due diligence and risk management, with ESG being part of that risk management, are more relevant. We do a lot of work on due diligence, meaning uh, there is a specific company that you'd like to acquire or invest in, and you need as much information as quickly as possible. You sometimes don't even have access to the data room of the company, you don't. You sometimes don't even have a deck. You're just interested in, in getting some feedback. Could be a huge deal, but you need market confirmation. You need to understand whether consumers are happy about the solution, whether there is any detractor data that you'd make that would make you walk out of the deal. And you need to convince your board to start moving forward and to place the first bid. So that's where alternative data can really help, is help you make that first decision, and helping get access to analytics that would take weeks or months of work through surveys and consulting etc and just getting them straight for from consumers and from media data that is available on the web
1: let's jump into a few sort of specific examples if we can so you can offer granular insights into consumer sentiment can you give some some examples you know can you cut and slice the data by geography can you look at what they think about specific products can you look about some color would be helpful
2: yeah, sure. Exactly. So the way we usually present private equity to diligence analytics is first by analyzing the market, where we take a look at whether this market presents by itself an opportunity. Is it growing much faster than the rest of the data that we extract from the web? Are there a lot of mentions? Where do they come from? Is this more from social communities, from news, from blogs, so that we understand what are the dynamics? Once we know how the market is growing and that there actually is an opportunity for valuations to go higher in that market. We analyze all competitors of the company and say, hey, volumes of data for one competitor are growing much faster during that period that could represent a risk for the company. And actually, that volume of data is mostly positive, so it's, it's actually good reviews from consumers, for example. And in terms of what the data, the underlying data is, is, for example, reviews from consumers on companies' products specifically, on specific brands, employee reviews uh, job descriptions, uh, but also general press-like media talking in a good way about a company that is becoming very trendy. And the hypothesis beyond that is that web traction, web mentions, and positive web mentions are a good proxy of revenue and can help explain how a company's position versus its competitors. And that has been validated multiple times when we provide these indicators, including with CEOs of companies that have been audited using that data it is a really good proxy of revenue and can help understand how the company is growing.
1: Yeah. Employee reviews, I think, is a fascinating area. Are you able to a sentiment analysis on a source, for example, like Glassdoor?
2: Yeah, exactly. So analyzing sentiment on these employee reviews, but also analyzing themes is quite relevant. We've seen a lot of cases that employees actually complain a lot about management, whatever the company, like whatever the company there is complaining about management. When we see management on the positive side of the topic analysis that we're doing, it's usually a very, very good sign for how the company shares a relationship between employees and managers. So we go beyond just sentiment and volumes of data. We've also tried to re-dive into topics and themes so as to help investors understand in a simple manner what is being said about the company, what's important for employees, for clients, etc.
1: And another use case we're increasingly seeing in the private equity world is companies wanting to understand how e-commerce retailers are doing on Amazon and other marketplaces. But clearly, Amazon is the largest today. So can you crawl all the reviews of a specific product or brand on Amazon and analyze that for sentiment?
2: Yeah, exactly. So we have access to product reviews, both in text and in stars, uh, which really gives a, an interesting uh, uh, vision. There's one thing that I want to nuance. We're a bit careful when dealing with Amazon reviews specifically, because we found that this data is manipulated a bit by some retailers and some brands. We're just trying to compare that to what we see also on other sources and not to just trust the main source of information. We try to challenge that every time. In some cases, when actual differences are spotted, it can be a some kind of red flag, meaning that the company or its competitors are doing something a bit shady in the background.
1: Yes, there's any way to identify black hat activity is is useful. Okay, uh, shifting then to the corporate vertical, how are corporates using your solutions?
2: On our side, we started approaching the corporate market through the prism of a due diligence, actually, in the sense that some of the firms that we have been working with have started showing these studies to their target companies and started also proposing that as a potential way to help companies orient itself in the future after the investment from a strategic perspective. Where are we compared to our competitors? What is consumer sentiment? How has has one specific scandal had long-term impact on my brand or not? So it's really the same approach that we're using as as for private equity due diligence is having a snapshot of how a company is doing and using that insight to help audience strategic decisions. It's still limited for us at this stage, but we feel that there is a lot more to do. We've done some preliminary studies, for example, in healthcare, where we take a look at side effect mentions on American forums on one specific drug brand. That kind of information is really critical to the companies that are actually producing these drugs. We've done some management reviews in the sense comparing information on CEOs of companies to their peers, so as to understand how they are perceived both by the employees and by the community, how important they are to the brand, which could also be very important. And there are a lot of these use cases, whether it's in corporate MA, which is an obvious target, whether it's in healthcare, in predictive marketing, where these same insights that are presented to investors are actually important to the companies themselves.
1: I totally agree with that. I think, yeah, speaking to all the private equity firms is a great segue to speak to their underlying portfolio companies. And um, we see a lot of the innovative PE firms that are leveraging data, really starting to educate their portfolio companies into the data world, helping them hire chief data officers and start to look at analyzing their internal data, but obviously also their external data and complementing the two to augment decisions.
2: It's actually fun because... Alternative data has always been meant to generate more performance or limit risk. But this is really a new way of doing that. It's, it's just by informing decisions on the assets themselves, on the company themselves, so that they perform better by themselves. It's uh, still the same goal, but addressed in a very different way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, they the corporates have never heard of the word alternative data. It just doesn't ring any bells with them. It's a whole different ballgame. They clearly called external data. But yeah, huge, huge opportunity for all of us in this space.
2: Very true. Just one thing I want to mention is sure. I think one thing that as companies that are mostly active on the buy side with hedge funds, with asset managers and the like, we're, we're sometimes also missing how important risk management is to private equity firms. And simply because these firms do not necessarily have a deep real-time vision of their assets, this seems really normal for all capital markets participants because we have access to live market data anywhere in the world on any website. But that's not the case for private equity firms. And we have to realize that LPs don't really have any information on the portfolio companies of of these private equity firms. And in addition to that, even sometimes private equity firms themselves do not necessarily have a clear vision on the portfolios of every single group they have in the world. So I think there is really a lot of great work that can be done on risk management on existing portfolios. And with that, including ESG, uh, simply to help create that kind of transparency and clarity on what's happening for all of the portfolio's assets in real time.
1: Yeah, totally agree with that. When we think about companies that provide NLP, Sylvain, there are frankly, there are too many providers globally. There's probably at least 50 in our database. As an outsider or as a layperson, how would you explain how powerful your NLP engine is and how differentiated it is versus someone else's?
2: Mm. On our side, it's mostly a question of modularity, versatility. We think that NLP as a task should not be linked to just one specific data set. It should be meant as a tool, as a platform that can be used. And for each NLP provider has its own specific use case, whether it's analyzing earning calls, analyzing news, analyzing social media, tracking specific information in reviews, etc. We don't approach the topic in the same way. We try to create the biggest data lake out there where we include everything. We have hundreds of thousands of earning calls. We have social data, news data, blogs data in a hundred different languages. We try to have access to everything in terms of raw material and then to provide tools so that client can build all of their use cases by themselves. And our ultimate goal, frankly, is to replace the 50 providers and say, there is one unique tool for which you pay one single license and that will help you solve the 50 use cases that all other providers are addressing in a standardized way. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that whether it's from a modeling perspective, alpha testing perspective, or from an NLP perspective, advanced hedge funds are really thinking more and more in these terms is how can we internalize the process? How can we create this data by ourselves with a lot of control rather than having to buy one data set per theme, knowing that NLP is always the same kind of technology, whatever, data you're tracking
1: yeah and it's interesting you know i love the phrase mine and combine you know the real holy grail with all this data is being able to compare data sets to get a stronger signal and if every data set is analyzed in isolation and not comparable because of mapping our symbology uh, clearly that's quite tough to get to so yes bringing it all together would um would make it easier for customers final question sylvan what predictions do you have for the alternative data space or the external data space
2: uh, there are a lot of things going on right now. I think we continue to see consolidation in the space. We see large companies that are tracking smaller companies. We've seen Kensho and Quandl, et cetera. And I think that move is not done yet. I think while Bloomberg and Refinitiv and faxit and the like have started approaching the market, this is very far from done. And the more this market is growing, the more consolidation we'll see. I think ESG is just the latest trend of that macro trend of companies uh, joining larger groups and joining forces to better serve clients. So I think that that will continue. And I think the logic will more and more be about relying on tools that are more general rather than relying on multiple sources of information that are hard to combine, hard to access initiatives and technologies such as Snowflake are really great in order to help generalize data access. I think this is really a trend that will continue. And yeah, hopefully I think uh, NLP will continue to be considered more and more a technology rather than a dataset. And that funds will either continue to internalize or rely on providers like us that provide a tool rather than a dataset. I think everyone wants to try NLP by themselves internally. And I think that will not be great for a lot of providers but I hope that on our side we will provide a tool to these firms that wish to internalize and that can rely on us for the heavy lifting, but still have control to build their own data sets. That's really my vision. And I think there are great days ahead for alternative data, not just in NLP, but in, in all the spaces and great opportunities for investors to promote their technologies, to promote what they are doing with alternative data providers and to generate more PnL. I think that's The ultimate goal for
0: everyone.
1: Well, Sylvain, I think you're building a great company. I I think if there were employee reviews on Glassdoor about SESAM, I think they would say positive things about management. Um, (laughs) uh, Employees should not always complain. Um, Listen, it's been uh, fantastic having you on the show. I really appreciate your insights and look forward to inviting you back on maybe in the new year to do a deeper dive. Thanks for your time. Thank you very
2: much. Thanks for your time.
0: That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha's solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.